and welcome to Infectious Info. This podcast is brought to you by the Infectious Diseases Working Group, a group of grad students at the University of Toronto. Our aim is to provide evidence-based information and spread awareness about issues in the area of infectious diseases. For more information, we can be found at Infectious Info on Twitter and Instagram. If you enjoy this episode, please subscribe. We also welcome questions or comments through our social media. I'm Kira Mirison, and on this episode, I'm speaking with Keon Fayaz, who is a system engineer at Global DWS. Today, we're discussing artificial intelligence in healthcare. Okay, welcome, Keon. Um, we are very happy to have you here with us today on the podcast. So why don't we dive right in and get you to tell us about Global DWS and your role there. Yeah, thanks, Kira. So Global DWS is a systems integrator and solutions provider uh, located in Toronto. Uh, we work with AI, IoT, and service robotics primarily, but uh, we do all sorts of things from RPA to um, change management and adopting new tech. Um, in my role, I'm a systems engineer, so I work with various systems, integrating them, uh, developing them, implementing them, maintaining them, all sorts of things from start to finish. Great. Um, who kind of in general benefits from the work there? Um, so at the end of the day, it's the business that would benefit from our uh, work because uh, in essence, we're, we're optimizing or improving their business processes, um, enhancing their customer and employee experiences. Uh, so the employee and customers also will see the benefits, uh, although the business is, of course, the one that optimally benefits from it. But um, we look to improve you know, everyone's life, part of that whole uh, process, whatever it might be. So uh, if we can help the customers and the employees as well, uh, then of course, that's our target. Great. So what is the company doing kind of related to COVID-19 and disinfection? Um, so initially when COVID-19 came around, we were um, working on a few different solutions around autonomous navigation and leveraging that autonomous navigation system that uh, we use for all of our service robots, uh, or most of them. But um, essentially, we, we thought we had a brainstorming session and, and thought, how can we help? Because of course, the world was kind of in shambles. Uh, there was a lot of things going on and people were scared, I would say. Um, and so uh, we had a, a few working sessions and we had all sorts of ideas. But at the end of the day, we kind of we, we all thought that trying to prevent the risk of exposure is probably uh, the best way to go or the, the way that we can help um, keeping in mind what we do and uh, how we can leverage that technology. So uh, we actually developed a disinfection service robot is what we call it, DSR uh, for short. And it's essentially a uh, autonomous navigation, um, like autonomous robot, sorry, uh, that leverages um, AI and cognitive capabilities to, uh, at the end of the day, do disinfection um, and do some some sort of automated disinfection. So uh, we can talk about that in a second. But yeah, in essence, it's a uh, disinfection service robot using UVC lights and disinfection sprayer. Wow, very cool and very um, just interesting how you guys kind of adapted to the time. So that's that's very cool. Yeah. And um, a more kind of technical sense, how do you guys ensure that an area has been properly disinfected, and how does AI play a role in that? So. 
AI in this, uh, I'm just going to explain what the solution does first. Um, and AI plays a role in uh, autonomous navigation because you have to do all sorts of calculations. But uh, I don't think that's the exciting AI that you know we want to talk about, really. It's um, AI that kind of just works in the background. Um, but the way that we're ensuring that the area is disinfected uh, is to actually use a series of calculations that we did um, in our lab. So uh, we've done a series of tests that we now know uh, how long we need to blast the surface, let's say, uh, with UVC light to ensure that it's fully disinfected. So um, we're actually working with uh, Dr. Ted Mao, who has had a lot of involvement at UFT, and uh, he's worked in uh, UV systems for uh, many years. But um, what we're doing is we know 40, we need 40 millijoules per centimeter square of UV dose to completely eradicate um, COVID-19, which is, that is to uh, break down the, I don't know all the scientific terms, but uh, to essentially eliminate the, uh, you know, break down the RNA so that it doesn't replicate. Um, so we're, we're zapping it there and, and we know UVC is really powerful for that. Uh, it's been around for decades and um, has really gotten popular recently. Uh, big thanks to SARS uh, in 2003, 2004, I think it was, but um now because of COVID-19 as well, because we have a, another situation that we need to um, try to control. Um, and so, yeah, that's how we're, we know uh, how long, we know, we know what dose we need to disinfect and we know how long uh, from what distance we're like, based on what distance we're at, how long we need to disinfect for. Um, so when we take the robot around to uh, designated disinfection points, we know how long we need to disinfect for. Um, and then, it's kind of based on assumptions at the end of the day, as uh, a lot of science is, but um, we know that this dose is receiving that UV uh, because that part is, you know, that part is actual numbers. It's not any form of hypothesis or anything. Interesting. Um, kind of moving a little forward on that. Um, what do you see for the future of AI in the terms of healthcare or public health? Um, well, there's a whole lot of uh, applications for AI and we can, you know, you can talk large scale or small scale. Um, at the large scale, I think it's things like RPA and IoT uh, connecting different devices together. Maybe um, like, for example, one uh, thing I've spoken to someone in the like a health professional about um, in the past year is that uh, let's say um, you're at a hospital and the nurse needs to do uh, an initial assessment or something, and maybe that takes 20 minutes or so per patient. Um, I don't know, but just saying for some, you know, hypothetical procedure almost. Um, and let's say there's a device that can do part of that uh, in, you know, five minutes or 10 minutes, and uh, the nurse will actually just leverage. They're not going to, you know, this this device won't replace the nurse, but um, it'll allow the nurse to, you know, have 10 more minutes of free time, let's say, while the device does that assessment, and then. Uh, that device can automatically sort of send that information to the cloud or to the server, wherever it's um, going to, to then update that patient's documents and whatever's needed. So um, in, a, in a way, the AI comes in in a, in a big picture at the big data level where uh, we're analyzing a lot of data, able to make predictions and um, you know, identify illnesses and diseases early on, but at the, you know, smaller scale, it's these devices that are getting all that data and, um, sort of doing it. It's, it's a small form of AI, but there's definitely AI, uh, played in there. That's great. Um, you kind of touched on this, but, um, how would you see it impacting kind of major roles or careers in healthcare? You kind of said it wouldn't take the place of them, but just kind of help out maybe. 
Yeah. So this is this has been a big question. It goes way back to I think the industrial revolution too, where if you look at it from a at a large scale, we have these machines, and then uh, more recently in the you know nineties, eighties, nineties, two thousands, we have computers now that are doing many things that normally humans were doing. And so I think that's the theme. There's always a fear that. Uh, there's going to be job losses, and many, you know, many, many people are are uh, worried about that. Um, and the reality is, there there will be some jobs that will be, you know, automated or um, may not be as relevant or or necessary down the road. But uh, there are there are things that those humans can do uh, that the machines can't. So that's that's where you know us as humans, we're not capable of doing just one thing. Um, we have amazing brains, and we can do many, many things. So. Uh, I think that's where that, that that's the answer to that question is that we don't know it's not going to wipe out the whole workforce. That would be um, unfortunate. And <laughs> I don't think us as humans would want that to happen. But uh, yeah, the, the um, you know, professionals will use these tools and use these technologies to be able to do their job better and hopefully free up their time and uh, allow them to be more you know, effective at what they do. Yeah, for sure. So... This is a very hypothetical question, but what do you think, I mean, hopefully, I don't want to say this too terribly, but if there was a future pandemic, um, do you think AI would be able to kind of play a bigger role in it than it did in COVID? Or how do you feel about that? Well, yeah, I mean, uh, you would hope so. Um, obviously, knowing what we know now, uh, I like to say hindsight is twenty twenty, but um, knowing what we know now, I I would hope that the companies that are specializing in AI that are doing that sort of you know trend analysis or trending and um, predictions, any anything to do with predictions, really, uh, they're able to learn from this and tweak their models, whatever that prediction model is, to predict things like this much easier. So even if we were able to predict a pandemic, predicting the magnitude based on different properties that we know, like how transmittable the disease is or the viruses and uh, things like that. I think if we're able to tweak those algorithms and make them smarter, um, hopefully we can do that in terms of predictions and foreseeing things like this. But in terms of, I think, actually doing something, uh, at the end of the day, it's us humans who are the ones doing things, right? So uh, AI is a AI is a tool, um, but it's not it's not going to solve all our problems, right? So at the end of the day, we still need to do things as humans to um, prevent, you know, the spread. So wear a mask, wash your hands, uh, things like that to optimally uh, keep ourselves safe, right? Um, Perfect. Okay, now a bit of a loaded question coming your way, but can you talk about population hesitancy towards AI? That's interesting because um, this is also one that comes up pretty often. I think a lot of people, when they hear AI, um, they're automatically scared for some reason. Um, and that probably is because it's a technology that we don't really know a whole lot of. And what we do know is kind of um, only the things we hear in the news, which is, oh, AI did this or AI did that. Um, and it's not always good stuff that the news is um, highlighting, right? So um, I think they're, they're definitely is an, an understandably a hesitation towards AI. If, you know, all you've heard about AI is um, like things like Terminator or Black Mirror, for example. Um, but when you understand how these algorithms work, what makes up an AI really like, you know, the, the steps, an algorithm is a set of steps uh, commonly referred to. So what makes up that 
AI in terms of steps. Um, when you fully, when you understand that, you start to see that um, it's the same way, you know, us humans think um, in a lot of ways. And it's not really, you know, of course it can be used but for uh, bad reasons, but um, it's not all bad, right? Um, similar to same, it's the same way we have, uh, we train, we not train, sorry, but we teach kids uh, from right and wrong. Um, we can treat, we can, tr you know, train an AI to understand what's right and what's wrong. Um, the AI that I think is the one that's scary. And I think it's, it's becoming a lot more uh, relevant now in, you know, 2020, 2021, finally, um, is the AI that uh, big companies, you know, like Facebook, Google, uh, Amazon are, are using um, based on you, who you are, you know, what websites you visit, uh, who your friends are, what behaviors you guys have. I think that's the AI um, that's happening at a much larger scale that is the the stuff that's kind of scary. But I know that's a little off topic. Um, sorry. But um, yeah, I think uh, when we don't know, in summary, when we don't know about something, we're obviously a little bit fearful about it. Um, but when you start to see what these companies are doing and how they're using AI, uh, you might be on board, right? You might not be so scared anymore. Yeah, no, that's super interesting. So this is kind of a term that I'm not completely familiar with, but... Can you explain a little bit about what data mining is and if there is any of it present kind of in AI? Uh, so, yeah, um, I mean, I, I think this this touches on uh, what we just talked about with um, a lot of, you know, data being analyzed at the high ups and com big companies that, you know, they have so much data on you. Um, and I think uh, what I what I'm are you getting towards the whole uh, like the spying thing where, you know, they're like big brother type of thing where um, <laughs> maybe they're selling some of your information to other companies. And yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm not sure um, exactly what's happening behind the doors, but um, I can tell you if you're not paying for the product or the service, then you are the product or the service, right? That's what they usually say. So um, if you're not paying for it, then uh, you are paying for it in some way. You just might not be, fully aware of it because you haven't read those terms and conditions maybe but in terms of i don't know if you know the answer to this but in terms of healthcare or health do you know any idea about what has been collected or if it's being used any places in terms of healthcare i actually don't know um because a lot of these um well it depends. Are, are we talking uh, information about you or are we talking about um, information that maybe is collected in a hospital or in a doctor's office or something? Right. OK, so I see that distinction. There. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 Because if it's on the Internet, then the odds are your information's out there. Like if they wanted to do some form of check on yourself, it's actually a fun exercise. If anyone who's listening ever wanted to do that, go run a check on yourself and see what Google shows up and maybe some other websites that do um, more analysis and they actually do look at other websites. They, they um, collect information from there. But uh, yeah, in the um, hospital rooms, for example, there is information that we can collect uh, at Global DWS. We've talked about um, some of that information, but um, it's not information that will do you any harm. It's only information that could assist in the overall, um, let's call it procedure or um, whatever sort of, you know, if it's a checkup, then it'll, it'll get, um, logged on your file. Right. Uh, cause a lot of these 
systems are legacy systems, so they kind of have to adopt slowly and carefully um, before transitioning to something much bigger. Right. Okay. Thank you. So now I just want to talk a little bit about kind of, well, a really kind of tragic situation during COVID was obviously in the long-term care homes. Um, There is a high number of cases, a high number of deaths um, in residents and workers. Um, Any kind of insight on how AI might've been able to help play a role or fill this gap somehow? Um, So uh, maybe maybe I'll answer it with technology as opposed to AI because AI, um, again, AI is a tool, right? So uh, we can use it to perform some other form of, you know, analysis or do some other task. Um, and I'll talk about how we're using AI uh, to sort of bring a more uh, sophisticated solution to the, to the market or to, you know, um, what the DSR is. But in terms of technology and AI, I, I think, yeah, definitely um, there, there could, there, there's a lot of gaps that exist right now. I think one is we're still figuring out what the most effective way to disinfect areas are. Um, I think with UVC emerging as one of the main disinfection techniques, um, this is going to be huge in the next few years. And uh, I think service robots like the disinfection service robot um, that can intelligently navigate through a space, disinfect a room, um, and then come back with, you know, uh, no human intervention needed, really. Um, I think that sort of technology will stay and hopefully, um, I mean, hopefully not there, hopefully there isn't a next pandemic, but if there is, at least we know one thing, one other thing that we can try from the beginning, as opposed to only being able to start it around wave two. But yeah, does that, uh, there's also like, there's, this is such a big question because there's so many things we can do. Um, but at the end of the day, it's, it's, uh, it's all about reducing the risk of being exposed and um, protecting those who are at risk. Obviously, uh, long-term facility, long-term care facilities are, are high risk. But yeah, I think there's there's a few things that we can do. Next, uh, hopefully, there, again, hopefully there is not not a next time. But I think there are a lot of things that we yeah. can do. Yeah, no, definitely reducing like human interaction is a huge thing and. I guess it needs to be said that not all pandemics are a virus being transmitted around the world. Like there are different kinds of pandemics. So yeah, I think this tool could definitely be from what you're saying, at least not that I'm an expert at all, but Um, so I will move on to talking a little bit more about the robot actually. So you said that you have kind of tested it out a few places. So kind of where have you implemented it? Um, so we've we've um, deployed it at a few different sites um, for business reasons. I can't disclose the names. Um, they've asked not to share that. But um, a couple of long-term care facilities, actually, um, none of the ones really that are in the news, which I, I think might be a good thing. Um, we haven't really had any cases where we've taken the robot there. We've done disinfection and everyone got dis- got infected, um, which is a good thing. Um, same with two education facilities in the GTA where, yeah, we've taken that and we've disinfected their labs and disinfected their common spaces. Um, and then a couple of um, businesses, so regular workplaces that are considered an, an essential service and need to be 
uh, in the office on an alternating schedule, um, similar to us. And so they'll be in the, you know, they'll be in the office once every day, once every other day, whatever it is. Uh, and we have the robot going in to do disinfection at their areas. Wow. Going further into that, any specific outcomes or improvements in those workplaces that you've observed? Like I said, no um, serious red flags. So no cases where there's been an outbreak or anything. Um, no cases where we've actually had uh, an infection, you know, within the time period that we were that we were there. Um, ideally, we're disinfecting the entire room, right? Um, so we're defining our, our disinfection points and those are our high touch areas, but we're also covering other areas around the room. So um, ideally, you know, the difference also between this and terminal cleaning um, is that we're not really at risk of human error or um, also transmitting the virus if you are the human. Right. So, um, so far, so good, I would say. Great. Um, you sort of started talking about this before, but how are you kind of evaluating how well the device is working? So, yeah, this, this is a uh, kind of a tough one. Actually, we um, looked into some sensors early on to see if we can measure the dose uh, while the, the SR is doing its disinfection. But um, it's pretty difficult to get an accurate reading wirelessly uh, without having the, you know, to completely change the room or um, at your environment. So um, in terms of uh, the, the science behind it, a lot of it is trust. It's trusting that this UV um, light, this bulb is, is transmitting, you know, um, the specified wattage and intensity, uh, ultimately to get the intensity, sorry, but the uh, right wattage high enough that it's eradicating the virus. Um, and we have all those. Uh, so, you know, at one meter, we need about six seconds or so. Um, and at two meters, we need about 10, 12 seconds. So uh, the numbers add up. And um, when we do it in practice, we uh, also are able to use a radiometer or um, uh, dosimeters that tell us how much UV dose the uh, surface specifically got. So uh, we, we are checking it. And um, so far, our readings have been pretty accurate. We know the numbers um, and we're, you know, we're trusting the science of UVC uh, at the end of the day. That's great. Now, has there been AI that has been introduced due to COVID that will remain after the pandemic? And I think I've been using AI a little bit wrong in some places. So maybe just different technology that has been introduced due to COVID that might remain after the pandemic? Yeah, yeah, that's okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think, yeah, uh, a little bit. Um, I mean, definitely like things like Zoom, Teams, for example, um, collaborative tools like that, for sure. Um, I think uh, also technologies similar to the DSR where disinfection uh, is necessary, or let's say um, the main objective, I think those are also technologies that will that will end up staying um but yeah i think um other ai in in smaller forms so uh, i remember hearing about a company doing um sort of like temperature screening when you enter the building so this was in las vegas i believe you would enter the you know hotel or wherever it was airport um and there's a set of camera systems that are taking your readings, um, doing some form of analysis behind the scenes to uh, indicate whether you're a low risk or high risk person. Um, so things like that, we may start to see 
be implemented um, at certain places, especially also when it comes to uh, security and other, uh, you know, you don't want people with fevers coming on um, airplanes, for example, uh, you know, depending on the situation, obviously in COVID, of course not, but um, it depends on the situation. And now that we have COVID, depending on how long it's around, then maybe that's a thing that also uh, we start to see over the next couple of years, maybe. Interesting. Yeah. So there's another term I'm going to throw at you that I don't know a lot about, but I'm sure you do. Um, how are you, maybe not how are you, but how is kind of AI or these technology tools in general avoiding machine bias? Well, it's hard. Uh, they're avoiding, um, they're, they're definitely avoiding it because it's right to avoid it. I think um, when we have machine bias, it's obviously, uh, you're obviously omitting a large chunk of the possibilities, right? Um, and so I think the only solution once you encounter machine bias is to learn from it. It's to accept that your machine made a mistake, just like people do, right? Um, we make mistakes, we only improve by learning from it. Uh, so the same goes for machines. And uh, I think that's one challenge that many companies have had over the past several years because um, they encounter machine bias in the form of things like racism, right? And that's obviously not okay. But um, now that it, you know, unfor it's unfortunate that it happened, but now that it happened, let's learn from it, right? They didn't program it to uh, specifically be racist. Of course, I, I would hope not, um, but they may have, you know, missed a couple of lines of code that accounts for certain um, aspects of that, you know, of that topic. So, yeah, I think it's tough to avoid. Uh, sorry, it's not, it's not that tough to avoid, but it's, it's hard to uh, make your machine perfect from the start. That sounds, I mean, that makes sense. Like just learning along over time, I guess that it's mm -hmm. like people. And you keep saying that machines are like human brains. So fair enough. They try to be. Anyway, <laughs> um, that's all the questions I have for you today. So I will say thank you. Um, this is very interesting to learn about. And yeah, I hope the robot gets to be implemented some more places as well. Yeah, let's hope. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Kira, for having me. No problem. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode and make sure to like and subscribe if you want to hear more.